Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. I'm Rob McLeod. This is a podcast for teachers, students, or parents who are interested in reinventing what education is. In the autumn, we spoke with six groups who we believe are on the cutting edge of education. If you're into Frederick Leloux or Integral Theory, you might classify these as teal or integral organizations. What's interesting is these educators, schools or consultants, are spread around the world, and they had not been connecting or communicating directly with each other, yet they've each emerged with very similar characteristics. On our last few episodes, Brendan and I, we've been trying to connect the dots between these six interviews, highlighting commonalities between those on the leading edge of school. Today, we focus on the question of what should be taught in school, and we filter back through our six interviews to try and articulate an answer for this. Now, what should be taught in school? The answer to this question will largely be informed by the values that you hold. On the podcast in the past, we've discussed four values at play informing what education looks like. Self-discipline being one, ambition, another, sensitivity, and development. On this episode, we'll articulate what should be taught in school if you value development, that fourth value. We'll discuss the beliefs of the previous three values and what they think should be taught in school. We discuss how curriculum has changed over time, moving away from content towards skills and where this might go next. We'll explore the balance between the demands of what school says you must demonstrate an understanding of with how much freedom and agency a student can be provided with to self-direct their own learning. We'll also discuss how different school cultures and systems reinforce what should be learned and how it should be learned. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to follow this discussion, even if you haven't listened to the six interviews, but we do name drop some of the educators we spoke with and the institutions they're involved with. So as a quick refresher, here's a quick overview of who we make mention of. Chris Baum of the Millennium School, a middle school in San Francisco. We've spoken with Armin Zieber of the Integralis Tagesschule in Winterthur, a high school in Switzerland. Tryon, Anna, and Karina of the Alternative University, a self-directed learning culture in Romania. Integral educational consultant Silke Weiss from Germany and Zeit, Education leader Katerina Yasko from Ukraine. And Jaron Oppold, a parent involved in the unschooling scene in Florida. By the end of this episode, we hope you will inquire with yourself about your beliefs and values regarding what should be taught in school. Ultimately, about 200 years ago, we created compulsory nationwide schooling, and back then we decided what should be taught. Now, sure, we've been altering it over time, but in 2019, we still have the opportunity to reinvent what school is by deciding what should be taught now. Think of it like packing a car for a summer vacation. You can fill the station wagon with everything you've always brought with you, new things you've decided to bring along the way, or you can take everything out, put it out on the driveway, and only put back in the items that best serve this vacation, and possibly deciding on some new items to bring with you now. If you think about serving the vacation more than appreciating and acknowledging the previous packing list, this is kind of the idea we're going for here. So, enjoy. What should be taught in school? Brendan O'Leary. Rob McLeod. 
Beliefs about learners. Yes. From the people we've talked to. What do developmental minded people believe about learners? Okay, so we're kind of moving now into the level of the teaching, the learning, and within the classroom. So a lot of a lot of what we're talking about here is taking those sociocratic or horizontal kind of ideas of leadership and moving them down into a like a smaller group. And so what we will see and what we'll speak about a lot is um, the teachers and learners and the curriculum being responsive to the needs of the students. And because we're dealing with smaller groups, often we'll see a lot more negotiation. So it becomes possible within a developmental school and even within some of the more um, developmentally minded organizations that we've talked to that, that they can, um, they they can have elements of the curriculum and elements of the lesson, the activities that can be shaped as a kind of co um, kind of collaboration between teachers and learners, which is certainly something that will be alien to a um, a school based on an earlier model, such as the, the self-discipline school. So the goals that are set and the strategies of how to get there within a self-discipline school are generally not up for any negotiation. Um, and two easy words maybe to kind of follow up through these stages is the like, what is on the curriculum or what is required of you to do and yeah. how are you going about it? And I'd say self-discipline, there's no negotiation on either of those. What is yeah. being taught? and how it's being taught, that's being decided by the authority figure, by the teacher, by the principal, by the school. Yeah, and then you move into the ambition system, which is the system that we see in most mainstream British, Canadian, American schools. And there's a, there's a little bit of negotiation within the strategies. And actually in some, let's say in, in mathematics, for example, that kind of uh, negotiation or taking ownership of the strategies is pushed uh, quite a lot. However, the goals and the aims are generally not up for any negotiation. You could almost think of this in like a corporate setting with like the boss who says, all right, here's this quarter's objectives. I don't mm. really care how you get there as long as you're getting, yeah. as long as you're making it happen. And actually teachers within the school, we're talking about students here, but teachers within the school are essentially put within put in that kind of position you know there's a statistical analysis that's going to be done two or three times a year where you need to see your students hitting these levels we have some guidelines on how to do that and there's actually a, there's obviously a curriculum but you have autonomy as a teacher to get your kids to this level and then i think we move towards the um the the kind of schools where I'm working in now, which is an IB school, where um, you know there's this deconstruction going on of the of the environment and the curriculum, and that allows for that negotiation, not only of the strategies you use, but also your goals, your end points. Now, of course, there are times where those goals and strategies are teacher directed or teacher um, 
determined, but there is also a big, uh, a big place for a negotiation. And we're talking about the sensitivity value here with schools like the IB yeah. or other schools that focus on like a transdisciplinary approach. That's yeah. And these kind of places, yeah, they're looking to hand over more of what is covered, what makes up the curriculum to the student so that it's relevant to them and interesting to them. Because sensitivity schools bring online this idea that it's unlikely one size fits all in terms of content. Mm. If you think of like an entire country, let's use Canada, for example, you know, geographically a very vast country, very different living conditions throughout a lot of the parts of the country. The idea that all students across the entire place are served by having the exact same content um, just seems a little bit silly. And obviously I understand that each province within Canada sets their own curriculum, but even within a province or state, the idea that every single child's stamp needs that same thing going through the system seems weird. So we see this shift towards saying, okay, there's some stuff we're going to require you to learn. You have to do this. But the other half of what you have to do can be decided and negotiated by you. And I would say my school right now, we're, I guess, hopefully in many ways are on that track beyond the sensitivity value towards this developmental value. And I think that step comes where the context comes in of explicitly deciding which strategies need to be teacher determined when and how and for what reason and which uh, goals need to be teacher determined and which are negotiable. And I think what we talked about last week in the, um, in the sensitive, in the leadership discussion, but about sensitivity based schools was that um, maybe in some areas there's a reticence to put rules down and guidelines and that maybe were a, a, a sensitivity school becomes more of a development school when it is more explicit that which goals and which strategies are um, student uh, led, student negotiated, teacher determined, and so on. Yeah, the, I think the developmental value brings or brings online or points out something that's been going on since the inception of education at the self-discipline level to say, hey, we as an institution, we as a school or as an education system have requirements or demands that we are asking of the people who pass through us. Mm. And at self-discipline, we're just saying, we know what you need and we know how you are going to carry that out. At Ambition, yeah. we say, we know our requirements here they are, but students and teachers, you have some freedom on how you get there. Because we believe that maybe you can come up with a more efficient or a better strategy that will then permeate through the culture. And that, yeah, and that there's probably no one perfect way to do all this. One size shouldn't fit all. One size might actually hamper your individual achievement if you're forced to carry 
it out the way we're dictating it. We'd rather give you the freedom and you find the means that work best. Which is um, the, what, uh, an example of that was what was called the math wars back in the 90s and noughties that happened in North America. And, and it was uh, very much the more self-discipline based mindset that was, no, there is an algorithm. And if you learn this, you will get to the answer quicker and better. And uh, there are just steps. Like once the number is over 10 in this column, you carry the one, you put this down, yeah. you do these steps. And it's never wrong if you do these and steps. Exactly. And then the, I guess the ambition with some elements of, of um, with, with some elements of sensitivity, sorry, I keep forgetting that word, <laughs> with some elements of sensitivity um, started to kind of say, no, what matters is that you can actually solve the problem yourself. You can take the responsibility. You can have these elements of critical thinking. So yeah, we can teach you the algorithm, but there are several different ways. And by teaching you how to solve problems or how to determine strategies, we are setting you up for a world that will have more open-ended problem solving. And I guess as we move further down to development that idea is taken over more but within schools there's still this kind of kind of uneasy negotiation or challenge between the teaching the algorithms and you just have to know it and and, and it works and of course it does and this time for um, being able to develop your own strategies and also just to under I think we're ambition within math or sensitivity in math to some degree steps in and challenges just the teaching of the algorithm, they step in and do that because they're saying, well, do you understand why you do these steps? We don't want yeah. you to just like obediently do this. Can you explain why these are the steps? And I, I just a small anecdote. I remember being in teacher's college and in our math course where we're learning how to teach math, the math professor asked us like, okay, well, when you do like a triple digit multiplication question, everyone knows you put two zeros and then you just start going across and doing the multiplying. And he just asked us like, can you explain why you just put the two zeros there to start? And this is a room of, I think there were 90 of us in the class. Everyone's been university educated. We've all been through the school system in Canada. And, you know, we're wanting to be teachers and there was not a single person in that room, some of which who'd even done engineering degrees, who could actually explain why you put two zeros. But all of us could do the question. We could solve it. Yeah. But it was fascinating to think that, wow, we've been through this and I can't explain why you do it. I just know that you do it. And of course, it got you to where you needed to be. But in, in many other elements, you will have needed to employ critical thinking. And of course, what we would say is the development value would say there is room for both of them. It has to be contextual. It has to be, yeah, there's a point where you're like, boom, I need to be able to do this. But how do you get to that point? How do you walk in the room and determine which algorithm you need to use or which um or what the problem is. And so I think we're moving more towards, and this isn't a discussion about math, but we're moving more towards a space where it's like, 
can you determine when you need that algorithm? Can you also determine when it's not best and when you need to use some other? And can you even determine from a set of data or from a real world problem what the problem is in the operations? So I guess development hopefully is broadening out the scope of what that might look like. And maybe that math war that went on was the beginning of that. Um, but that's still very much in place. Um, things move pretty slowly within the, the world of uh, education. But the original question we started off was how do the school, how do the people that we spoke to, how, how have they defined the student or their beliefs about the student? And I think um, the, the Romanian university are in a unique position because their students are already essentially adults. And so they don't have this stigma of negotiating with the, with the students. And so they're in a, the, the way they described that essentially you had a mentor and you more or less developed your own ideas and your, your steps towards that goal. And it didn't need to be aligned to any particular curriculum or any particular set of beliefs or externally uh, pressed kind of values. Um, so in its purest sense, I think that's what we're seeing there in terms of development. So your mentor, yourself, and your goals, and you're negotiating how to get there. Yeah, and it's almost like, at the developmental value, the only real institutional requirement or demand is that you come up with a plan for your learning and how you yeah. will organize yourself to learn or engage with or develop in what it is you want to develop and engage in. That's the, like, the center of the self-organizing principle of school at the development value. And it's, it's founded on a belief that the student knows what they need, um, which is certainly not the belief that underpins a lot of the school systems we've spoken about. But the student walks into the room and it's the teacher's job to uncover what they need because the student already knows it possibly can't voice it, possibly can and needs more, needs support in making it clearer and, and actually following the path to reach their goal. But what a lot of, um, what a lot of the interviews touched on was this idea of unlearning so that you could uncover your potential and your competencies. So, um, and I think again, um, Chris at Millennium School, he talked about kids being at their growth edge. And so an underpinning belief in all of the, with all of the educators we talked about was that students are highly capable and often know what they need. But there's no, there's no suggestion that kids know everything or the students know everything and the teachers can take a step back because obviously that would be the criticism of any kind of hands-off system. There's no suggestion that that's what this is. This, the suggestion is that the students want to avoid any kind of learned helplessness that sometimes is inherent within 
the more self-discipline, even ambition system. Um, and with the help of a, of a teacher who can read the, the signs and help them to bring their needs into a clearer focus, can then bring out their themselves. And I think when we talk about school, we initially talked about school having the three main goals of citizenship, work, and self kind of self-development or flourishing or um the this is the development one, the development kind of paradigm is the first one really that sees that flourishing or self-actualization as being equal with the need to be ready for work and the need to be a positive contributor to society as a citizen. Yeah, and each of these values is a response to their the environment that they're found in. And in 2019, it's almost become a trope, I think, in education to say like, oh, who knows what the world will be like that we're sending these children to and the job, you know, jobs of the future. We don't even know what they are yet. And, you know, we've been saying this for like 20 years now. There'll be no like, roads. There'll be no roads. <laughs> there'll be no shops, Rob. Who, there'll, there'll be no doctors anymore. Who All knows? we know is that everything will be silver looking. There'll be much more metal and shiny and... It'll be like the Jetsons, kind of. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we use these tropes of we don't know what skills they'll need and we don't know what content will be relevant because you can Google everything and, and who knows what life will be like after Google. Like we throw out these very VUCA, you know, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity type scenarios of like this world's rapidly changing. And I think this is where you see the development value arising as a response to these conditions. And I think this is seen through it, all of the interviews we carried out where that focus gets put on self-development, not because it's nice to do that or, oh, it's a, what a great, you know, let's allow the individual to really shine. Although I think mm. that's part of it, but it's more as a response to our actual living conditions to say like, okay, job market, 20 years from now, realistically, how can I prepare you for, for the job market? It, it is genuinely true that it's changing so rapidly and we don't even know now what skills you need to succeed in 2019. How on earth are we going to guess for 2039 from this point with mm -hmm. certainty moving forward? And similar to some degree, the citizenship, it's like our culture, our ways of relating are changing rapidly and drastically and i'm not in tuned enough with the technological world but of course you know look at the last 10 years of just the impact of social media and how that's changed the way that we interact as a citizenry and who knows what's coming next and you know again i'm not well informed on this stuff but i hear enough talk about like you know the continual introduction of more AI, like artificial intelligence and the impact that will have on how we carry out our, our lives as people. And it's like, that's going to have a huge impact on the way 
we interact if, or if nothing else and everyone's wrong about that, like just the technological changes will continue to change how we operate as cultures worldwide. So it's like, all right. So if the job market's up for grabs and who knows what's needed, if culture's changing at an infinite pace, well, we can work with the individual and ensure that developmentally they are, they're walking into this world with the best possible toolbox for themselves because at this value, I guess there's the belief that a adaptable, flexible, developmentally ready individual is the best kind of person to engage with a rapidly changing world. Yeah. And that's the, the through line running through all of the conversations. And the, the, the thing is also with this idea of responsive responsivity coming online, uh, the development value is that this also filters down into how we believe the students are. We're responding to their individual needs now across we as humans and as teachers have always responded to a student's emotional needs. And it's not so much that we're somehow saying that teachers don't care or haven't cared for students in the past. Of course, that's the case. But this is the idea that the school, the classroom, the teachers, the students all have this belief that the response to what is needed within the community sets you up today while you are building for tomorrow as well. And this is the thing we talked about, how the now and the future, the other systems, especially self-discipline and ambition, are very much looking towards next year, 10 years, 20 years down the line with students. With the sensitivity, there's a little bit more of an idea that they're bringing it back to what the needs are today. But the criticism there is maybe at the cost of tomorrow. That is the the criticism of if everybody's included and everybody's taken care of and there's no challenge. And so how are we setting people up to deal with those challenges that come further down the line? I don't think necessarily that's always a justified uh, criticism of sensitivity schools. However, the development school would seek to again be explicit and be clear that um, the students are humans right now and they are living within their own context but we also have to be aware that part of the role of school a major part of the role of school is to prepare them for their adult lives and I heard a, a beautiful quote or read a beautiful quote on a Facebook post uh, I'll try to dig it up and put it in the show notes that was basically a student, I think a teenager, and she was saying in it, um, these won't be her exact words, and this is a little bit of Rob paraphrasing in here, but as context, you know, we often say like, well, we're, you know, we're building the citizens of tomorrow and we're teaching the, the future leaders and, you know, one day the, our students will be citizens. And this student's quote just said something like, we're not the citizens of tomorrow. We are citizens right now and we will be citizens later. Yeah. And I think that was almost like a development level teal integral flip on how we've been just framing this essentially forever 
in the way we talk about school. We're not preparing you just for later. You are a citizen right now. You might be 15 or 11 or 18 and still living at home, but you are a part of our citizenry. You're still developing and emerging into it, yes. But right now, you are also part of our collective in our country or (laughs) within our species. Like, you are a citizen now. And I think it's been a blind spot, perhaps, to overlook um, the fact that you are a citizen even while you're in school. Yeah, well, I remember pulling out the common core standards when they first came out to take a look at them. And this is an indication of how deeply baked in this idea of preparation for the future is because the, the, the common core standards, which are the basis of the American curriculum, so you're talking about tens of millions of students, and they're actually called college and career-ready standards. So there are a set of standards that will guide you towards college and career. Now, again, to reiterate and keep reiterating, that is really important. (laughs) But it just points out that this is a system designed for next year and five years down the line. It's not necessarily a system designed to respond to your needs today. And so... Obviously, with the, in our discussion with with Joran, Joran, who removed his child from school and began to unschool, this was a major life-threatening, life-challenging kind of situation that was exacerbated by the fact that school was not able to respond, not just emotionally but also in terms of academics to the needs of a particular student. And it's also underlying a lot of what Armin said about the students at his school. And also Chris uh, talked to some degree about the students. Maybe the, the middle school has always been viewed as a place that is where you're confused and it's, you know, it's supposed to be confused and there's absolutely no reason for that. The, the reason why, it compounds the biological, biologically driven confusion of adolescence is because it isn't necessarily designed to respond to the needs of somebody who is an adolescent. And schools that were discussing developmental schools are aware of that and they are saying within our curriculum, within our teaching and learning, we are going to try to be aware and respond to your social, emotional, and academic needs in real time without taking our eye off where we're heading. And if we look to what are some of the perhaps new subject or content areas within the schools we spoke to, like kind of the mandatory classes or what are the requirements of these schools, they did bring on some new things that I think are certainly absent in the self-discipline value schools. I would say totally absent still in the ambition values. Some things that you would start to see in sensitivity schools, um, but you start to see the introduction of programs of like nonviolent communication, education, emotional education, 
courses, lessons, frameworks. Um, Chris Baum from the Millennium School, he talked about, you know, at their assemblies and within the school discussing conflict management strategies. And he used an example of talking to a parent whose child walked uh, their parents through the steps of this kind of conflict uh, situation at home. There was an art focus, as mentioned, at Harmon's school, which seemed to be more historically, that was kind of one of the principles that was brought forth by how the school got started. Um, but you begin to actually see, what do you call this category of things? You start to see curriculum beginning to look like value-informed strategies for living. Perhaps Maybe that's too grandiose of a term. I don't think so, but I think it falls under the umbrella of what would have been um, social studies, sure. or what we call in England originally was PSP, physical, social, um, personal health, and then included citizenship within that. And it and it, it essentially was a catch-all term for the things that we're describing here. Um, so this idea of nonviolent communication, and Katerina talked about how that is a big part of the things that, that she um, brings into schools. And um, Chris talked about them having an inner work curriculum. So this is that inner, in, even saying an ambition school would have a place, but it, it just wouldn't be given the time necessarily and the mindset that, that, that was saying, well, actually this is underpinning almost everything or everything because we're going to spend an hour or two a week or a day i'm not sure how much time and i want to know a lot more about this i've asked you a little bit about this i want to next time you get hold of chris i'd like to really get more details on what that inner work curriculum looks like and 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 what success looks like within that and what they um how, how they um progress through through the course and the applications of it but these these within a development school would be front and center because they feed into the idea that all of these get you to a place where you know yourself better therefore you know your strategies and goals that you want to apply in your education and then if the school is ready to respond to your needs then we're in a position where we can have a real negotiation. And again, I'd say within some IB schools, that's definitely there and it's coming online. And what Chris and to some extent Armin was, were talking about was having much more of that. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd actually even go back, maybe retract what I said two minutes ago. Not that you don't see this. As you pointed out, a lot of curriculums have I think their version of this, and for sure, even within a self-discipline, let's say, you know, stereotypically over-the-top traditional German school, like you still have your ethics classes. Yeah. The ambition, for sure. You know, I grew up, we had health class in Ontario, and I think there was some, it was shifting between ambition towards sensitivity at the time I was a student, but, you know, there was still this idea, like you said, of social health and, and the well-being. And I'd say that's evolved for sure more within the Ontario curriculum from what students are experiencing now. 
but I guess what you pointed out is, is the difference between maybe those first three and the development approach is that there's still one, maybe two periods a week, <laughs> probably end of the day, Friday, do a couple of games, some feel good projects, get some good information in there, but they're, they're thrown in as another subject and it's another content area and you'll get a grade on it. And I think sensitivity begins to bring these things more to the center, but it's at the development value. And I might be putting some words into the mouths of people here, but it's almost like, no, 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 this is where we start. These kinds of practices support the way we believe we should be with each other of being present, of being authentic, of being tuned into what's arising in this moment attuning to our needs individually and collectively in this group, our ability to know what we want and execute a process towards creating a structure and a system and a culture that will support that. It's like, if those are the things you want to do, then you can trace them back to these kinds of practices of practices that are, I guess, supporting and building an individual's capacity for presence and authenticity and tuning into a sense of purpose and tuning into self-responsibility and tuning into your ability to be, how do you say this? Part of a, you can prop, you are part of, you are able to propagate the kind of culture you want through your actions. Mm. these kinds of practices are at the center of that. And that's why they're not just Friday afternoon activities. They're front and center and being addressed within the school. Well, and, and I think, you know, a lot of schools now, including the schools we've worked at, will have assemblies and will have values around the school that are shared and they are, they're definitely promoted. But it, within a development school, it would be that, that they, as much as possible, guide everything. Um, okay, so may, maybe it's kind of time to, to talk a little bit more about the practical kind of processes of, of learning or the curriculum documents themselves or so... Before we jump into maybe what a development school might look like, just briefly, um, self-discipline schools essentially didn't have curriculum written down in a form that was shared. An individual teacher or maybe a school might have a set of guidelines. Um, and of course, now schools that are still operating as self-discipline would have national curriculums, but they came out much more under the ambition kind of led paradigm. Yeah, and often schools within the self-discipline um, way of being put their reliance for curriculum on an authority source. And most often that's a textbook series or some kind of program that informs what the teacher does in the class, which informs what the students are doing. And there's almost like a bit of a trust or a bit of a faith that, well, the these people understand the ins and outs of the curriculum. And therefore, if we do what they have said, 
we're for sure meeting the needs of our, our curriculum. Or perhaps in the more historical context, let's say in the age before national curriculums, it was more just, well, the kids will learn how to read or write or spell or do their math if they work through these programs. It was just a set of shared beliefs of how we were going to get people ready for the next step or how are we going to transfer our culture. Uh, so this was the beginnings of school. It was just everybody knew what you needed to learn at school. It was common sense. You're reading, you're writing, you're arithmetic and, and some morals. And it's largely, as you hinted at, it's, it's unspoken. You, mm. you kind of just know. It doesn't need to be written down. You know well, if you that. need it written down, you don't know it. And so you, you're obviously not in a position of authority and you need to keep quiet and learn it. Yeah. Essentially. But then we see, you know. Someone says, hey, tell me what it is. Articulate yeah. this. <laughs> Articulate it with this, with this cane. You will learn it good. <laughs> and in ambition, we do start to get clear on exactly what, those kids have been doing and what our objectives were because we move into the mindset that wants to record and theoretically yeah. objectively measure um, both progress but more specifically achievement within the ambition paradigm. But how this, how this began is because as uh, examinations and certification became more important then they would almost uh, test would be reverse engineered so we would know what was going to be on the test so we would teach that and the, and the curriculum would evolve from that there would be a feedback loop between textbooks and exams and teachers would would change that and this is the era kind of i'm growing up in, in you know the the 80s and 90s i'm at school and there's no national curriculum yet per se but everybody knows what needs to be taught because of the textbooks and the tests and then around the early 90s, around most English-speaking countries, national curriculum essentially evolved. And then we had what we have now, which is a pretty codified set of standards that are you know, negotiated for their levels of um, specificity. So within a science curriculum, um, there is a an ongoing discussion and and kind of tussle between the more abstract and skills based kind of objectives and the more, more specific and knowledge based objectives and the questions always with each iteration of the curriculum how much of each do we have on which skills and which uh, pieces of knowledge and can you give like one example from science like what the more abstract might look like versus the more concrete approaches to so curriculum. an abstract one may be that uh, students can make uh, accurate observations or students can generate questions that that can be uh, tested can generate a hypothesis or something so these are quite skills based they're quite they're very open and then you may also have students will know the will be able to recognize the leaves from these particular five trees and uh, in some cases, those two objectives sitting uneasily next to each other on the same curriculum is like, of course, you know, if you can if you can create a hypothesis from any real world situation, great. Maybe if my 
obviously <laughs> I'm going to argue against that maybe there's not five trees and five leaves that you would really need to know. Not that it is useless or a, a or or a bad thing to know. It's just that within the context of science and within the amount of time you have, maybe that knowledge base is is not quite what is needed. And you yourself, I know, have tested this. This isn't really a discussion about curriculum. But why don't you tell us the little um, uh, your story you have about the states of of Germany? <laughs> What story is this? My rap? Which part? Is it the States one where you gave everybody the, the test okay, and you yeah. gave them a, a week to, uh, to revise? Yeah? You yeah. Know what I mean? Got it. So, yeah, when I was teaching in Germany, as with, I think, almost any country in the world, at some point you're asked, do you know the states or the capital cities of, of the country you live in? We did this on, in Ontario about Canada and I think it's a pretty common thing. And, and I know in the States, uh, I forget the name of it right now, but there's like an award you get if you can name all the states and all the, all the capitals by a, by a certain grade. We did the States of, Germany's states of Germany test, the 16 states, along with the city states. And, you know, the kids knew this was an important test. It was before their gymnasium recommendations, which, you know, you want to have the best possible marks going into that so that you can be kind of selected for the university track within Germany. And essentially, all of the kids got perfect on the test. Pretty much everybody got perfect on it. It was an easy thing. You either know the states or you don't. The kids drilled them, practiced them, memorized them. They knew their states and the capitals. So this was, let's say, September, October in the year. It's got 100% almost across the board. Then just to be a jerk, sometime around March, I was questioning how long students were retaining information because within this context, we weren't doing let's, what we call a spiral curriculum where you come back throughout the year to discuss stuff you've already discussed. I, my planning, my classes, all this sort of stuff, we kind of did a a one-month unit in September, but we never really talked about that stuff again all year. Did another unit in October. We didn't talk about what we had done in September. That was done. Door closed. We're moving on to the next thing. And I obviously had my own suspicions that this wasn't the best possible thing. So in March, I decided uh, to give the kids the German state quiz again to see how they would do. One student passed the test <laughs> and essentially everybody else in the class remembered two or three of the states and it was pretty much the one they live in and like one that maybe their grandparents <laughs> or a family member or something like that lived in so this was an interesting example of these students in september met the curriculum expectation so I should have just ticked the box and be like, these kids can do this. But by March, those same kids could not meet the same curricular expectation. So we potentially 
and a huge kind of worms of a discussion here about retention of knowledge uh, and all of those things. But I just wanted to touch on that because that is, that is still the ongoing kind of tussle within the curriculum, within the ambition paradigm that still kind of rules the roost um, between how much does there need to be knowledge based and how much skills based. Now I would always go for skills based, but I would say that once you then move into a sensitivity school, you start to see it becoming even more abstract. So you may then become more conceptual in in your kind of objectives as in that the, the students are able to um, take real world concepts and inquire into them with a scientific process. So this is kind of even, even bigger, but obviously there's sub you would get sure. into that and there would be, there would be sub kind of goals within that. But, what we would see as we move more into sensitivity and then uh, is that we're loosening up even further what those expectations could be with the knowledge that the more we acknowledge the differences within students within their current needs and their future needs the more we have to um take those goals wider and bigger more transdisciplinary we would say so that we can then address needs as they arise and then what we see when we get to the development school is that there's that concept there of the curriculum being very malleable and being something that students are identifying their own steps, designing their own learning. Um, there's a coaching model rather than a set teaching model. And then this filters into the idea of students having agency and really trying to apply their learning meaningfully into the real world. Now, all of this sounds great, but of course is incredibly difficult to do. And a lot of the schools we spoke to are working on a one-to-one -one ratio. The Romanian University in Armin's uh, Tagesschule and um, I think the Millennium School has has a higher ratio, but it's still relatively small. I I think it's not one teacher to thirty students in a room. It's not a one to thirty, or even a one to fifteen to twenty that you might find in a private school. In many of these cases, you're talking one to five or less. And so, of course, that that makes that process simpler, but still, in in its core. It is. It has taken what the self-discipline school had, and it's been deconstructed and then put back together in a way that is meaningful for each individual student. What this requires is incredibly skillful teachers who know those curriculums. It's not like the teachers are making up what students need. They're aware of the many opportunities that are there and they are skillfully negotiating how students move forward. And uh, that is not to say that this would be easy in any sense. In, in, in every conceivable way, it's more difficult if you want to do it well. And so unschooling, where the parent is attempting to do this, and they're, they're not trained as a teacher, they would have to be highly attuned to what the student, what the student was showing 
And then it's a case of, I'm going to get into this idea of health. What is the, what is healthy for this student in terms of their academic, their social, their emotional development? And so when you get to a one-to-one um, ratio and you have that mindset and you're working for the good of the student, what's best for the student within and not necessarily just in a selfish individualistic mode, but also, as we said, moving forward to be a citizen, to be a worker, to be a, an individual. You're now dealing with an uncountable amount of possibilities. And, and so this is where we'll keep coming back to this idea that a development school requires highly skilled teachers and or highly attuned to human needs and human development which mm -hmm. would mean someone like Joran who is teaching their child at home is highly attuned to the needs of himself and his um, child as a person and starting from that position rather than starting from all the other way down the end of the spectrum with like, here I have a list of things on the curriculum and you, you now need to do all of these things and I'm going to force you, maybe help you to do these things. But mm -hmm. that's just, there's two ends of the spectrum there. And I think at, and again, to be fair, we see some of this within the sensitivity schools, but I think, again, it becomes more of a focus in the development framework, there's the idea that like, you know, the buck doesn't have to stop with the teacher. I think we saw this in the Romanian alternative university. We saw this in the millennium school that the teacher also becomes a contact point to others, quote unquote, in the world, or at least quote unquote, outside of school. So getting connected to real world businesses, real world people, activists, whatever it is, they're putting you in touch with resources that exist beyond the walls of the school. Whereas I think to a large degree in the sensitivity value, for sure in the ambition and self-discipline, the idea was that school is supposed to be a self-contained unit. You come here, we've got everything you need within the walls of this school to a large degree to get you ready for the real world out there. And sensitively certainly has a place for this, but I think development puts it front and center to say, yeah, if we limit you to only what's available and possible within these walls of the school, that's not serving your ultimate development. Hmm. There are certain places where we within this institution, within this place, or even within our culture, maybe aren't the most apt thing that you're needing right now. Let's help, let us help you get in touch with whoever or even stepping back one step further and just saying hey how are you going to find somebody who can help you better than we can and giving that autonomy to the student and again going back to my school which is an ib school and we're also running i'm in a primary program but we're running a middle years program and at our best we are doing that the students are currently going through, you know, setting up their community kind of project. My, my son's doing his. And uh, I yesterday served on a, a Dragon's Den style um, 
panel where the middle school students presented their ideas for these community-based projects and they were all fantastic and they'd identified different communities and so at our best within this development within the sensitivity schools and my school is somewhere on hopefully on that cusp between sensitivity and development um at our best we're doing that but uh, you know of course it's incredibly hard to do the the middle school teachers are working so hard to get this one project going and they're making fantastic links with the community as well um and the more established that becomes the uh, easier that is to do but yeah it, it is alien and it has been alien even to my school until i'd say this year or maybe the last couple of years so um it's definitely happening there and it's definitely even happening in in not that my school my ib school is mainstream but it's definitely happening in more schools that are closer to the mainstream very very hard to do i just got I'll, I'll have to keep saying that because i'm watching it unfold in front of me and i'm talking to people and it's like well what what it, come on what's so hard about it what are the biggest challenges you're seeing so I think that the teachers in the middle school are doing an awesome job of setting up the kids to actually set their goals, identify the community, and then they've got to bring the kids into the, in, in line with the real world of what's possible and how you communicate and you, how you put them in touch with people. Now, we're a part of the YMCA, it's a huge organization. We've got lots of links already, and we're reaching out to other kind of um, groups. And, and I just think that the amount of support a student needs initially to generate those ideas, find those people and then see that through. And this will be once within their year or two year cycle. Um, that, that, that just takes a lot of time, effort and organization. And many, However valuable it is, many people who are not in the developmental mindset might want to be stripping that back and not doing more of it. It wouldn't be that, okay, this is essentially going stripping to be... It, stripping it back and replacing it with what instead? Stripping it back, making it something that could be done quicker on a smaller scale so that the lessons could then follow more of a... A more standard curriculum that was leading towards maybe a body of knowledge or a set of skills that would then be uh, put onto a test. Um, and what we're seeing here is this is more of the application of those skills. So, in terms of your Bloom's taxonomy, I hope people who are listening are maybe familiar with that idea that the those levels of thinking skills and and the the lowest level is just a retention of knowledge and then you get into the comprehension of that um, the next kind of step up are analysis and application so what the students are doing in these particular projects is that they are not only comprehending how these um, agencies work or these societies these communities work and their needs they're also analyzing those needs and then they're applying their current knowledge to kind of um, meet those needs. Um, now the, that's two extra steps of higher order thinking beyond what would happen in most classrooms. There may be some minor elements of application of knowledge, 
but a lot of what we see within uh, ambition, self-discipline, especially ambition kind of test um, oriented kind of work is that there is um, th there is not so much of the application because it's, it's really hard to test uh, application in many ways. It's much easier to, to test comprehension. So there'll be a lot of comprehension. And so you may let's give explain one, your thing. Yeah, let's give one concrete example because I think this is common parlance for you or I, but someone who's maybe just following along with what we've just said you know, is a simple example. Like if you're on that lower level comprehension mm. level, this is probably like your test just looks like a diagram where you're filling in the blanks of, let's say, maybe ecosystems isn't the one to go with here, but you know, here's I'd the, even go down to that's just retention of knowledge. So that's so just knowledge. Something back. Just repeating something back and we don't actually know how much you know or your depth of knowledge or your depth of comprehension. So, you know, a gap fill or just um, just answering questions that require a, an answer. Like, what is the name of the person uh, hosting this podcast? It's Rob McLeod. There you go. You have retained that knowledge. Now, if we want comprehension, we would say, okay, so can you tell me a little bit about what the people on this podcast are talking about? Can you explain it? Okay, well, they're talking about development schools, they're talking about curriculum and students, they're talking about how schools are responsive. Okay, so okay, good, you've shown me that you comprehend. That's generally where your mainstream schools would stop. Now, the application analysis of this might be, okay, can you break down what their strengths and weaknesses were they were saying um, within uh, the development school? Can you, can you actually break down what you think the developmental school might be and analyze from what they've said. Can you analyze strengths and weaknesses? Can you compare things? And then we get into the thing that we're talking about now, which is application. Okay, you've shown me that you understand a little bit about Rob McLeod's um, developmental school ideas. Can you apply something he said to a different context? Okay, well, he said that we're talking about um, Students sometimes get to develop um, their own next steps. Okay, well, I'm going to go over here to my school tomorrow or to my sports club, and I'm going to talk to the coach or the teacher, and I'm going to say, here's what I think my next step will be. Am I allowed to do it? And I'm going to negotiate my next step. So what I've done there is I've taken a piece of knowledge I've taken it to a new context and I've applied it. So in terms of these middle school students, what they've done is they've had to look into their local communities, analyze it to find a need, and then use what they already know about the community, about the potential solutions to the need, and do some research, of course, and then they need to apply that knowledge to solve the problem or to help the community get over this. Um, as you can see just from the description, that's way more difficult to assess how you're doing it, how well you're doing it, time frames, support needed. Uh, much easier if I give you a reading comprehension with a couple of questions, maybe even an essay question. It's still only really assessing your comprehension. Um, that yeah, was masterfully so done, O'Leary. Well, thank you, Rob McLeod. It was a slow start earlier. We're going to have to 
we're gonna have to pine we're gonna have to have a glass of pineapple juice soon but um one last point where i would like maybe to we can this flip up. this part maybe we can put this as the first part of the podcast and the bit at the beginning where i'm forgetting what i want to say <laughs> in my own name you might how about flip that flip that <laughs> go on go right i want to go to something you shared with me just this morning in a facebook message between the two of us which okay. was you said in your school right now you're wanting to try and clarify what are the bare necessities what are the absolute must-haves what has to be taught in the school what can we shore that list down to and can we open up the rest of our time the rest of our attention towards well-done student-led inquiries essentially Mm, so maybe yeah. to like sum up this conversation, yeah. one of the through lines between all four values in education is this idea of the negotiation between what is the institution requiring of you and how much autonomy do you as the individual student have. So in a development school, if you're looking at a school similar to yours that might be making this transition from the sensitivity paradigm into development, how do you decide? How do you do that? <laughs> the cutting of, of the list down to the bare necessities. The well, bare minimum of what has to be on the curriculum. So within the IB, there is a framework of transdisciplinary skills that we call them um, approaches to learning and there's already a bunch of social skills self-management thinking research and communication skills but they're just headings really and so those bringing those front and center as basically a set of skills that go over all subjects and then really it, it, there's no answer right there's no answer as to what is a non-negotiable and here's the activity i like to do with a few people i say okay tell me 10 things that absolutely must be taught before sixth grade and everyone will go you gotta know how to read and i'll say what do you mean you mean like sound out the letters and yeah you gotta know how to be able to read the letters and when you see a page in front of you read it all you gotta be able to count and add and subtract okay so all right let's count those as three or four things okay you gotta be able to read you gotta be able to physically write the letters you've got to be able to um count add subtract multiply divide to two or three digits or whatever okay what else and then like literally everybody gives you a completely different set of answers. So this would be my challenge to anybody listening now. So like, let's assume being able to count and do your four operations plus minus multiplication division, that's a given by grade six. Let's say you also need to be able to read the words on a page and write the words on a page. Okay. Now give me seven or eight other things that are absolutely non-negotiable. I'm not going to put you on the spot now, Rob, because you probably give me a bunch of hippie stuff. <laughs> no, I won't put you on the spot, but it's a good activity to do, and, you, and you'll get some interesting answers, especially once you get past number five or six. Number seven, Rob, number, don't cry when you hear number seven. Number seven... 
it's always you're always going to taxes people talk about you got to learn how to do your taxes and it's really true and so we don't teach you or you got to learn how to compose an email or a letter and it's like okay that's fine but it's really interesting to have that discussion and say so but as a group of teachers you know we're going to start having this discussion anyway we've got the common core we've got we've used parts of Alberta we've used parts of Ontario uh, curriculum so like looking at bits of that and boiling it down is a good place to start but yeah your question of how do you get down to the absolute bare bones you first of all I think you have to be really brave to be like that this is not something that everybody needs to know at this point and that's easy with some of the knowledge-based stuff like the the leaves and the tree you can probably probably cut that as a specific piece of knowledge because on a higher level you've probably got something that talks about investigating life cycles and talks about investigating um, aspects of living things so it may be that although you don't actually look at those particular trees you will still look at um, how living things um, grow and live at the bottom, it, by peeling back and giving you, uh, allowing yourself to do this, you kind of um, realize how wide open it is. And it comes down to your values. It comes down to what do you believe you need to put front and center. And what's holding, I'd say, many schools back is more a worry of how it's perceived and how it might not necessarily work without that huge framework holding you in place and so this is the negotiation we'll have and I'm guess a lot of other schools will have of how you move towards what we know is more necessary of a wider more responsive framework without necessarily losing too much of what we gain from having that more stricter and formal framework yeah, I think that, again we come back to values <laughs> as what yeah. informs all of these decisions. Because I was taking your list activity in mind there, and once you get past those obvious, like well, I need to read, write, do some maths, then well, even for those, but anything that gets added to that list, I wouldn't care about the content of what the thing was. I'd just say, oh, that's interesting. Why? Does that mm -hmm. have to be on there? Not that it has to be on there. Why is that important? And I'm sure any of those things, eventually you'd peel back enough layers and you get down to the root of some value or belief about how a human being is supposed to spend their life on this yeah. planet before they I die. That's, that's, that's the key point, yeah. And I think you also nailed it. You said there's not one way to whittle this back. There's not going to be a universal core curriculum of these are the bare essentials every human being on this planet needs. Yeah. What I think is going to happen is as more groups of people, likely on a small scale to begin with, get together and have these authentic conversations about, hey, what, what's our top 10 list here? What has to be on here and why? And does that exploration into those deep shared values, from that place you'll see a diversity of um, curriculum that are mm. responsive to that group of people and authentically arise out of them. And I guess at their best, it might be able to meet 
the needs and true authentic values of the people who are actually involved with that as opposed to being yeah. imposed from outside absolutely i think i think i think you kind of got it there and i think we will definitely come back to curriculum it's a really rich topic because it underpins so much of what happens within school and it's a big interest of both of ours for that very reason i appreciate having the chance to speak to you about this stuff and uh take it easy Brennan o'leary thank you very much thank you we hope this episode has been interesting if you want to connect we're on twitter or you can join our private facebook group just searching reinventing education podcast request and we'll let you in we're kind of building a community there so far it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values competing against one another in education but let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying.